<laughs> Welcome to Money Making Conversation. I am your host, Rashawn McDonald. I recognize that we all have different definitions of success. For some, it's a sizable paycheck. Mine is helping people wake up and inspiring them to accomplish their goals and live their very best life. These are my passion, and that's what I'm going to do for you when you listen to my show. I want you to stop tripping over small challenges and prepare to rise above the bigger obstacles that life will present to you. The Money Making Conversation interviews provide relatable information to the listener about career and financial planning, entrepreneurship, motivation, leadership, overcoming the odds, and how to live a balanced life. My next guest, big fan of this young man, is the weatherman slash co-anchor on NBC's Today Show and co-host of the third hour of Today. He is owner and CEO of his production company, Al Roker Entertainment Incorporated. He is on the show to discuss his new book, You Look So Much Better in Person. <laughs> it's a great title. His journey is about his journey, but it teaches us how we can weather the storm of life no matter how heavy the downpour and shares antidotes from his own treasure trove of memories and being in the spotlight. Most importantly, you can purchase this book right now. Right now, you can buy this book. Please welcome to Money Making Conversation. I'm going to call him my friend, Al Roca. <clears throat> Hi, Rashawn. How are you? Pretty good, my friend. Uh, this is a book about a... Tell, first of all, before I even get started, after reading this book, especially the end of chapter three, well, you announced that you were you are a weatherman, a parade host, a production guy, master of ceremonies, and occasional author. Your your book could easily have been titled "I'm More Than a Weatherman" <laughs> or a "Weather Person." I, yeah, I guess it could have been. Um, uh, but you know, one of the things I've learned, one of the uh, best bits of advice I was given, yes, sir. was by Will was by Willard Scott, mm -hmm. who was my mentor, who's the man who helped me. Uh, uh, develop who I am said, you know, he goes, listen, two things. He goes, and this was at a dinner we were having. He said, always be yourself. Right. Because at the end of the day, they can take anything away from you, but they can't take you away from you. Um, and, and the other thing he said was never give up your day job. You know, no matter, uh, uh, because back then when we were having dinner, he was the, the number one, news personality in Washington, D.C. Right. And, you know, and, and while he was doing that, he still had all these side hustles. Obviously, we didn't call them side hustles. Right. right. But, but he always said, you know, at the end of the day, everybody knows me for this. And that's where all of this comes from. And so, you know, I, I try to do all these different things and take advantage of all these different opportunities. But, the reason those opportunities come up is because I'm on the Today Show. Absolutely. You know, when I when I was reading the book, you know, you know, you travel from Syracuse, then you go down to D.C., then you go down to Cleveland, then you come back to New York City. It's it's a journey, but it's a journey about uh, never giving up and working hard. That's, that seems to be the the message that you're trying to tell. When an opportunity presents itself, go for it. But when you go for it, give 100 percent. That seems to be the well, the tone of the book, correct? Well, here's the deal. My dad told me, and I, I, I talk about this in my book. And, and, Absolutely. You know, my dad, and, and he is, uh, you know, I, I, we lost him uh, back in 2001. Mm -hmm. And uh, I still, you know, I miss him every day. But one of the things that he told me in high school was, you know, and he said, listen, you are going to have to work twice as hard and be twice as good to get half as far as the white kid next to you. Absolutely. That's true. And, and I said, and I said to him, I said, but dad, that's not fair. He says, that's not called fairness. It's called life. 
Right. And he said, and, and if that's, that's what you're going to do. And I remember coming home one day with a report card that was less than stellar. And I thought, oh, he is going to just explode. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I got home and he came home. He was, you know, working in, as a bus driver, came home and my mother showed him the report card and he looked at me and he said, if you can tell me this is the best you can do, then I will accept it. Mm-hmm. But if this is not, I am really disappointed in you. And got up and left the table. And it was like, damn. Uh, and I brought those grades up. Absolutely. You know, you know uh, when, you, when you say that about, because uh, when I'm African-American, I'm over 50. Um, and we talk about, you know, the times that we are in now. We're now COVID-19. We're the civil unrest. And I look at your career, and I like to believe uh, that uh, you are a trailblazer. You, I believe that you was a trailblazer in Syracuse. You were a trailblazer in D.C., trailblazer in Cleveland, and even a trailblazer today. And do do do? I'm just, I'm just asking this question now. Do you realize the significance of who you are as an African American for somebody or my children to see you on TV? Well, you know that that's very. I, I, I don't even know what to say to that in, in that, uh, you know, you, I think, I think our goal, I think as, as a people is are just to do your job right. and do it to the best of your ability mm-hmm. so that, um, you know, that's what people see that, and not just the, you know, the, uh, you know, whether it's an Al Roker on TV or listening to a, a Rashawn on, on the podcast, you know, but that when you see people in their line of work who do, their line of work to the best of possibilities, mm-hmm. then that becomes, those people become role models. I was just talking with somebody, you know, growing up in New York City, you know, uh, uh, when I was a kid, you know, seeing a, uh, a, a, a Bill McCrary or a J.J. A, a Johnston or a, or a Gil Noble or uh, Melba Tolliver, Bob Teague, you know, all these folks, you know, and, and to be honest, I never wanted to be on TV, but I remember what a big deal it was to see us on, on TV. TV. Absolutely. And that's what I'm saying yeah. is that it's a big deal. You know, this story, your story starts in 68 when you were in college, you know, and uh, got this job, a weekend weatherman job. And, you know, and you went in there and and you you you, you basically just I'm going I'm to I'm call him till he tell me to stop calling. And yeah, you know, the funny thing is, once I got the job, it was funny because I was going to be the first, you know, there have been people, you know, there were, we had black reporters and some black cameras. Absolutely. Our, that's, you, that's what I want to say. In, I don't want you to shy away. And not say shy away, no, but. I'm, I'm not shying away. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, I, I, you know, I guess here's the thing. Yes, sir. Uh, uh, I've tried to raise my kids mm-hmm. that, uh, listen, dad's on TV. Right. But, you know what? D- dad's job is not any more important than uh, bus driver which my dad was uh, truck driver, firefighter, any of those folks, you know, as long as they are, do, because you know, it, once I'm off TV, I'm still me, but I'm not, you know, I'm not Al Roker on TV. I'm just Al Roker. So, you know, don't think that we're important that much more important just because of what I do. And you, you should be important for who you are, not what you are. Oh, though, absolutely. I'm not. I'm not shying away from what you're and, saying. And I'm not saying. I'm not. I'm not saying that you are. I'm just saying this is what I've had to uh, kind of impart upon my kids because absolutely. You know, they've seen me fly into rage. Al Roker wearing a suit, holding a briefcase with them 
trying to flag a cab in midtown Manhattan. And nobody stops. And that cab Mm -hmm. passes you by for a white guy or a white woman half a block down who isn't dressed nearly as well as you are. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and, and and so, you know, I said, look, in the, in the end of the day, and that's what's been so amazing about this. I, there's almost this, I wish I could have written this book post or, or you know, during this pandemic, because mm-hmm. it, it has brought out a lot of things. Right. And, you know, I mean, uh, uh, I am so grateful that I, I did one of the last, if not the last interview with John Lewis. Absolutely. And, uh, uh, he talked about how hard, you know, just when you think maybe there's no hope or you're feeling a little down about stuff. And he said, seeing these people, seeing this diverse group, this rainbow of Isn't it of, amazing? Of people, Isn't it amazing? Young people demonstrating that have said enough's enough. That And, and you know what, Rajan, I don't think this would have happened if we weren't in a pandemic. Because George Floyd would have just been another black guy who had been murdered. Right, because we would have gone, we would have gone back to all. We would have said, "Oh, that's terrible," as a as a country. Oh, that's horrible, and then something else would come by to distract us. We would go back to our our world, go back to our jobs, go back to whatever we're doing, go back to our vacations. But this happened when we had no choice but to look. We could not look away. You and, know, and and that's and, you're and, saying the truth. You're speaking the truth, Al. Because you know this weekend, because uh, they, when they told me I was uh, going to be interviewing you this Monday, and you brought up John Lewis, because I was going to bring him up in this interview, and I'm not trying to um, make you uncomfortable, Al, when I talk to you about mm-hmm. who you are and what you mean to African Americans. Is that uh, when you know as much as I knew about John Lewis, when I see him walk down. That bridge in Selma, 25 years yeah. old. Yeah. That was for the first time I saw him. You know, I saw him. And, yeah. and you are a pioneer. And you've written a great book, and all these great stories you tell are told are, 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 are checkpoints of history to me. To me. Because I know that uh, I'm in the entertainment business. I know the difficulty of what you have to do in entertainment to be successful, period. It, it, may, it may be the most difficult field that you can get in to try to be a person of color and try to be successful in entertainment. And yeah. you've achieved it. And I, and I say that because of the fact that in Syracuse, D.C., Cleveland, New York, you have to be a person of authority and accepted that the information coming out of your mouth is real and accurate. And you've achieved that for over 40 years. That's that's an incredible talent. And I just wanted to congratulate you on that. And that was important for me to let you know how I feel from a person, my daughter, my my, my family, that you have been important to the African-American community, my friend. And well, thank you. And that that that, that you know, it resonates in this book more when I read it because, it, it, you know, you, you you couch it very well with humor. But also the reality is that you have to be, you have to be on, uh, quick on your feet. You have to be smart, and you have to be willing to work hard. And when the opportunity yeah. presents itself, you cannot shy away from it. That's what you. That's the no. tale of your book, right? And, and you know, it's funny because uh, uh, you know, I, I left, I got a job in Syracuse, and then I got a job in Washington. And I moved to Cleveland, which was, you know, fairly at the time, the late seventies was a fairly uh, racially polarized city. Yes, it was. Um, and uh, again, I was the first black weatherman there. Thank you. And uh, uh, what, what was interesting, I had a we had an anchor guy, 
he was married to his co Doug. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and yeah, Doug Adair. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, nice man. I, you know, if you would ask me, is Doug racist? I'd say no, but Doug, you know, could say some things. And, uh, one night our, uh, after our newscast, we were in downtown Cleveland, not a great time to be out after 11 o'clock. Uh, an older African-American gentleman who was homeless, everybody knew him, mm-hmm. uh, came up behind Doug with a rolled up newspaper and kind of bopped him on the back of the head and ran mm-hmm. off. And that was it. Well, the next day, Doug's telling everybody how he was assaulted and attacked. And we all kind of like, yeah, we wish we had been the one who had done it. But anyway. Uh, <laughs> uh, Love it. Uh, uh, anyway, his, his wife, his co-host, Mona, is about to introduce me. We're live on TV. And she goes, and now here's hey, Mona. Before you introduce Al, Al, I have to tell you, I don't know if you'd heard, but last night after our 11 o'clock news, one of your people attacked me. Now, I, you know, it's one of those moments, Rashawn, where time stands still. You're trying to figure out how are, how am I going to react to this? Is it outrage? Is it, and I live on I TV, did, live. Well, on TV, I looked at him and I said, Doug, why in the world would, the weather, would a weatherman attack you? And then just <laughs> moved, moved on. Uh, well, well, people were outraged for me. They called. You know, I mean, they had to suspend him. And then he came back to, uh, as a reporter, demoted, kind of a field anchor, as they called it. Mm-hmm. And then like six, seven months later, he, he resigned and he and his wife left, went down to Columbus, Ohio and you know, had a, another good 10 years down there. But, you know, it's, you know, you, you, you've got to pick your, look, there's so, there, there's so much that we can be outraged about. Right. That we have to pick our points. Right. Um, uh, George Floyd, beyond outrage. Um, uh, you know, me being called out by an anchor man, you know, for some goofy thing, you know, maybe not so much, uh, but, but you can have the same, you can have the same impact. You know, I was, um, thank you for that comment, Al. Yeah, you know, I'm talking to Al Roker, his fantastic book uh, that you can buy right now. You look so much better in person. True stories of absurdity and success. Um, I'm a guy, I get up at four o'clock every day, Al. You are a 3.45 a.m. guy. You, you beat me by 15 minutes, my friend. <laughs> so I, I, will, I will give you, I, I give you, I, I got to bow down to you for that 15 minutes. And... A reason I bring that up because a lot of my friends and co-workers and people that I that call me for motivation and advice, they said, Rashawn, why do you get up at four o'clock? Do you have to be anywhere at four o'clock? I said, no, no. I said, but it's a difference when I get up at four and a difference when I get up at six is how I prepare for the day. And uh-huh. and it's not so much and it's how you how you allow your body and your mind to go through. I get up, Al, I, I go downstairs, I stretch, I'm watching the news to about four thirty, I find out the weather. Then by five o'clock, I'm in my life. You know, I'm I'm on my yeah. own pace. And so tell us walk through the steps why that time, besides having to be to work at a certain time every morning, Monday through Friday, that three forty five is important to you. And we should and people should adhere to having a set time that they get up on a daily basis to be successful. Yeah. Well, here's the deal. I find that I am most productive in that hour because I don't really need to get up till 4.45 or 5 o'clock or even 5.15, much like yourself. But there's no, there are no phone calls to be made. There are no emails to answer. There are no uh, kids' projects that you've got to work on. 
uh, you don't have to, <laughs> uh, don't tell her I said this, answer to your wife. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. All you have to do is get up and do what you, what you want to do. I don't like rushing, much like yourself. I do not like rushing. Mm-hmm. to get ready for work i would rather and, and to be frankly to be frank that's when i wrote most of this book mm-hmm. was during that that hour uh either and you know we we find we tend to waste a lot of time we do you know if if you could uh, uh add up the time you're you're kind of mindlessly scrolling the internet you know on the uh, you know looking at twitter or, or instagram or, and and the time you're just looking at things to buy or whatever you probably could find another 90 minutes in your day yes you could yes you could and, and, I, and i tell people that i said there are 24 hours in a day learn to take advantage of each hour and that's what you're saying right now when you say look i yeah. get up at 345 Rashawn. it's my time yep so that's I, I tell people that I wrote that in the book. They said, you know, get up at least an hour before you have to, mm-hmm. uh, because you will be, you will be uh, surprised, and I think kind of amazed at how productive you that hour will be for you. That was a great that was a great uh, point of knowledge in your book. Another great point of knowledge I wanted to bring out was the power of relationships. And two people that stood out this book, and I always tell I always tell about people about my life is that people I didn't see the vision in me sometimes, and some people saw it, and they pushed me in the direction or, or nudged me, or sometimes say, "Why are you still standing here looking at me? Get out!" And Chris in Cleveland, and you mentioned his name earlier, Willis Scott in the in the D.C. Talk about the significant role they played as far as the power relationships in your life to the career you have today. Well. Yeah, I mean, you know, like I said, Willard, you know, gave me all that advice and just nurtured, you know, like, uh, uh, you know, really got me ready for this. In, in a sense, he was, I, I, and I say this with no shame, uh, I consider him like a second dad. Right. He, in fact, if my dad was still alive today, they would be the same age. Mm. Um, uh, you know, and, and he just, you know, he, he was, generous to a fault he still is but you know the idea when i was i was working at wnbc in new york and filling in for him and and he came to me and he said listen uh, it's it's my time i I, i'm going to step back a little bit um but they should be thinking about putting you in there and that's who i'm telling them but if they come to you just know that this is my choice uh now there there are very few people in this business who would do that um, and, and the person who set me up to be in that position was this woman, my news director, Chris Ostrowski, um, mm-hmm. in Cleveland, uh, she in Cleveland, she was the one who told me about the weekend weather job in New York. She said, look, they're looking for a weekend weather person. You're from New York. You don't need to be here anymore. Uh, I, call the news director, have your agent call the news director, tell him, I know that you're calling and you, you need to get down there and audition for that job. Um, and I auditioned, my agent called, they said they loved it. They want you to start. And my station in Cleveland was about to, we had moved from third place to second and we were knocking on the door for first place. And the new, and the general manager said, here's what we'll do. If you agree to stay for another two years, uh, we will raise your salary. You'll be the second highest paid anchor person in, in, in Cleveland. Uh, we will guarantee at the end of those two years, you will move to New York as the weekend weatherman at the same salary that you're making now, which would have been far more than I would have been making in, in New York if I had taken the job. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I thought, you know what? Why not? I love zone. Cleveland. Mm-hmm. I enjoy it. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay. 
And I went in to tell my news director, and she said, Al, as your news director, (laughs) I think this is great news. It's fantastic. As your friend, I think you're making a huge mistake. You need to get out of here now. Now, who does that? You know, uh, so and, that, and that's what I was saying. Did, that th- th- who did that was something, somebody who saw something in you that you weren't ready to accept. I know I, I say that because it's happened to me. And I say that to people all the time is that you value relationships. You And she's your mentor as well. And yeah. like, I, I'd like to believe Willett was, is your mentor. And people see stuff and they tell you don't relax because your gifts were greater than what were being offered in Cleveland. Go to New York, young man. Go there and challenge yourself. And that move is the move of why we see you today on the Today Show. Yep. And now, would that be, now, you know, we talked about earlier about, you know, all these different jobs. Now they call it multiple streams of income. You know, back in the day, they used to say we were Jamaicans <laughs> when we had those many jobs. But now, now right. it's called multiple streams we're, of we're income. Side You're right, 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 right. Now, now, now it's properly using multiple streams. Got to have multiple streams of income if you want to make it in this, the world today. Now, one of those multiple streams of income is the Al Roker Entertainment Incorporated Production Company. Tell us about that and why was it important that you start and produce things out of that production company? What's your name? Well, you know, I always wanted, as I said, I didn't want to be on TV. I wanted to be in TV. I wanted to work in television. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've always wanted to produce. And and in 1994, I I did a couple of uh, specials for the Food Network just as a host. And... uh, and I saw, and they wanted me to do some more, and I thought, why can't I produce these? So I asked the, the general manager of, at the time, who used to work with me at WNBC, and she said, sure. And I really enjoyed it. And so kept producing shows, did some for the Weather Channel, and, mm-hmm. uh, Lifetime, and some other places. We're, we're, uh, we're about to announce a, an animated series for a network I can't mention right now. Uh, we're doing stuff with a, um, we, we just have a, a, a very varied group of, uh, projects. One uh, that looks at, uh, veterans coming back with brain injuries, mm-hmm. uh, with a group called Life Aid. It's called Life Aid, a, a story of hope. It's going to air the end of August at, mm-hmm. on Discovery, American Heroes, mm-hmm. and, uh, the Science Channel. Uh, and, and, you know, it was, it, it's important to me to, to be able to have a voice. Right. To be able to, you know, have a, a say in in what we do and how we do it. Now, what is the difference then? You know, I'm talking to Al Roker, his great book. You should buy it right now called You Look So Much Better in Person. Uh, when 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 you're because I use the word you are a star, you're a media star, you're a television star, you're on a very popular uh, morning uh, news broadcast, and we you're a weather expert or authority. When people walk by, they ask you the weather jokingly or seriously. That's who you are. Now you're a producer, a different hat. Does it, does it, what is the difference of the two other than the fact that you are a media star as a talent? Now you're becoming a media star as a producer. What's the difference? Oh, you know, in, in a sense, they're, they're very much the same in that you want to, you, you know, what do you want people to come away with? Do you, do you, do you want them to feel like they've wasted their time or do you want them to feel like they've had some value added? Mm-hmm. Uh, by watching you or by watching something you've produced. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I like to say that there's no show, although my kids are older now, but there's no show that I've produced that I wouldn't be proud to have my kids watch um, uh, or my parents watch. Right. And, and, and look, I, I, we could be a far bigger production company, 
but you know, by doing certain kinds of programs, I just don't want to do this. And, uh, and before we wrap up, I wanted to bring this comment up and I want you to respond to it. It's about hard work. And sometimes when you work hard, you you might not get paid extra or might not feel appreciated when you're working that hard. And I, and I feel it was a major move to the success that you are today, because that's what the book lays out to me. Each each chapter tells a story about, OK, this is what I had to do. Now, was I happy doing it? No, but I had to do it. And it led to this. And one of those examples was when you work when Dr. Frank Fields, before he was moved over to CBS and thought it was going to be greener pastures. You worked hard for eight straight eight straight weeks with only two days off, you know. That could have been a breaking point. You could have said enough is enough. You say, hey, I want more money. This is not right. You could have, you could have complained. But why did you? Sure. Well, here's the deal for two things. And it may sound corny, but uh, I I love what I do. Mm-hmm. I mean, to be in this industry, you know, people say, oh, you work so hard. I said, you know what? My dad drove a bus for eight hours a day, worked a lot of overtime. Sometimes we wouldn't see him for a couple of days. That's really hard work. This is work, but I, I, I love what I'm doing. Uh, it's not a job. It's, it's, it's my, my passion. So if in the long term, this is going to bring me something, I don't know if it is or not. But all I know is that if I give somebody else the opportunity to do it, then I don't get that opportunity. So I will put in the hours. I will bust my butt. Mm-hmm. To do it, mm-hmm. uh, because I want, I want whatever's going to come after it, not somebody else. Well, what came out of it in NBC? You got rolled into the studio uh, in a in a chocolate cake, and you've been <laughs> there ever since. <laughs> just before we just tell us how did the chocolate cake scenario come out, and the fact you got rolled into the studio in a chocolate cake. Yeah. Well, you know, it was it was uh, <laughs> one of the know, funnier somebody, moments in the book, by the way, Al. It was it. Well, thank you. It, it's I mean, listen, the, the, you do what you got to do. Right. Somebody suggested it, and I thought, why not? You know, uh, what's the worst that can happen? Luckily, I'm not allergic to chocolate. Right. <laughs> well, my friend, I want to thank you for coming on my show. I have a newsletter goes out uh, to ninety thousand people, ninety four thousand people every Wednesday. I want to drop your book in there. I have a million social media followers. Ninety percent are female. Please tell them to send me some banners and links so I can drop it into my <laughs> uh, my social media posts. My friend, I, I admire you. Thank you for allowing us to have an honest conversation. Uh, every time you turn, every time I watch that TV, you're a blessing, my friend. Don't change and keep raising thank that great family and leaving us leading us all my friend in a positive direction thank you Aroka thank you take care alrighty if you want to hear more money making I appreciate you if you want to hear more money making conversation interviews please go to moneymakingconversation.com I'm Rashawn McDonald I'm your host